Zimbabwe's men take on Namibia, Uganda take on Nepal in a women's T20i series, plus news surrounding the new Nepali men's T20 competition, and we sit down with Georgie Heath to chat all things Fairbreak Invitational. But first, a shout out to our friends at Patreon. If you love associate cricket as much as we do, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. As always, plenty to talk about on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Ah, oh, the guitar melody we know and love. Another emerging cricket podcast in the offing this week, online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick. I'm with Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you this week? Quite a bit of cricket to get through. We've had the conclusion of the Fair Break Tournament, which we'll be talking about with a special guest a little bit later on. Uh, plenty of other cricket around the world. Namibia, Zimbabwe, Uganda's women taking on Nepal. Some announcements from that part of the world as well. Again, troublesome to keep up with, but uh, I'm glad you're here to talk about it all. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm all right. I've uh, I've got over the hill of um, a lot of uh, bureaucratic difficulties with with this uh, visa application for going to Iceland. So uh, the final challenge seems to be uh, the courier company uh, have kind of gone missing. So we'll, we'll have to sort that out. But uh, once that's uh, off and away, hopefully uh, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but uh, yes, how, how are you, Bez? Hopefully you've had a less tedious week. As if the process for all of it wasn't hard enough. You've just been thrown just that extra uh, inconvenience your way. Uh, It's been a busy week. Uh, Have struggled to keep up. Been trying to watch as much cricket as I can, but haven't really had a whole lot of time to do anything else. But that's okay. We'll we'll push through and and, and get on with it. Uh, There's been... Yeah, as mentioned before, quite quite a bit of cricket and, and fair break concluding this week with the Tornadoes winning. What a fantastic tournament. Um, again, we'll back end this week's podcast with a lot of that fair break chat. So we'll start on the men's side first. Uh, some early impressions from the Zimbabwe-Namibia series in Bulawayo, Nick, that I want to talk to you about. We've only seen one game, or by the time you will all have listened to this, you probably would have seen two. Zimbabwe claiming the first match... Honestly, thinking, and one of the reasons why we've brought it up this week is so many takeaways in that first match. I think we've got a pretty good indication from what we've seen, uh, how capable Namibia are, how capable Zimbabwe are, and just a general sort of vibe of this series. It's a series that we've looked forward to for, for quite a long time now. You've got the emerging, strengthening associate member in Namibia who are on the climb in international cricket. We saw it at the T20 World Cup last year like everyone else did. Against a team that's, I don't want to say on the downhill, but a team like Zimbabwe who have stagnated, it can be um, safely said over the last couple of years. We looked forward to this series, and I think while Zimbabwe did take the first match, there was so much experimentation in Namibia's side, Nick. JJ Smith not really involved. Herrera Rasmus Bowen in the last over of the game. Namibia looking in control for pretty much two-thirds of that chase, only to fall short. And again, a couple of tactical things that Namibia looked to be sort of tinkering with. David Visa coming in very late in that particular match. I took a lot of takeaways from this. One, Zimbabwe should not be scary for any of the opposition in the B qualifier for the T20 World Cup qualifier in July. But for Namibia, it looks as if they've finally rounded their 
squad out to one that is really deep in terms of quality. We did see a number of guys take part in the T20 World Cup last year, Nick. But yeah, just from watching 40 overs of of cricket in the context of a five-match series, it was quite telling just how much you could take out of, of that particular game from both sides' perspectives. Yeah, it was. Um, it's it's almost like they're treating it as a development match. You know, the way that Erasmus rotated through all these bowlers, gave uh, I think it was yeah eight bowlers had a go, including Erasmus, as you say, bowling the last over, which is uh, interesting. Bernard Schultz, uh, reliable as always, got four overs and, and got two for 19, which is uh, you know very typical return for him, very tidy. Uh, but uh, yeah, Ruben Trumpelman, strangely only bowling two overs and uh, David Visa only bowling two. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what Erasmus's thinking was there other than perhaps they're not taking this... You know, it is it is a bilateral. It doesn't necessarily uh, mean much in terms of qualification, although I guess we can kind of... <laughs> um, you know, speculate about some some potential, uh, you know, forty chess with with the rankings. You got in before me on that. Well, I mean, if Namibia lose this series, it, it might you know perversely end up being actually helpful for them in terms of uh, the way regional qualification shakes out uh, in, in the twenty twenty four cycle. But yeah, I, I don't know how much uh, Erasmus is is thinking that, or if he's just kind of trying to give everyone some match time. But uh, yeah, green back with the gloves as well, which uh, is interesting because they were uh, playing a lot with uh, Lohan Lawrence and uh, JP Kotzer came back as well over the, the home summer. So, you know, have those guys fallen out of favour or, I mean, Green was injured over that time. So that that's that's part of it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all a bit of kind of, yeah, a lot of moving pieces and, and no one... It doesn't seem like they're trying as hard as they maybe could. And so that conversely is a bit of a, a worry you would think for for Zimbabwe if Namibia are, are kind of fiddling around and they still get within, what, seven runs, uh, got to 146, five wickets down, chasing Zimbabwe's 153. And then, yeah, looking on the Zimbabwean side of things, who's scoring runs? Sikander Raza, Craig Irvine. Those guys have been you know, amazing for Zimbabwe for years. Raza is a, a great favourite of the Emerging Cricket podcast, of course, um, but... You know they're what thirty six years old, both of them. I think. Um, you know, where's where's the next generation of talent coming through for Zimbabwe? Because they did look pretty ordinary. You know, the emerging team they sent to Nepal and and indeed last year to to Namibia, and their A team didn't do particularly well against the South African developing side that they played against uh, last month. So, yeah, some worries for Zimbabwe in terms of talent which is kind of the opposite of of Namibia's issues in that they have so many guys um, pushing through you know in this current squad that they that almost seems like Rasmus doesn't know how to deploy everyone yeah fascinating first game I just can't get over just how much someone could take out of that match and talking about I'll start again with Namibia Divine Lecoq at the top of the order Mm. looked classy and we knew that during the World Cup one of the issues that Namibia had were some of their trials and tribulations at the top of the order. They weren't quite sure how to get the ball rolling at the top of the innings. Power plays were quite often slow in comparison to, to the rest of the other phases in their in their batting innings. Devon Lecoq could well be the answer at the top of the order long term. He's obviously, you, you're probably going to get 10 or 15 years out of him, assuming he stays in the system and assuming that contracts and, and full-time employment, you know, stays the way that it does. Uh, he, he feasted on, some of the bowling wasn't quite up to scratch 
it was great on the pool, as you mentioned. Anything that was short went the distance more often than not. And then to look at Zimbabwe, and you mentioned the big the big names, the elder statesmen of the team. They're, they're definitely the side's best. You know, the likes of Sikander Raza, Ryan Bell, Craig Irvine, Wesley Matavire as well, you could probably throw in there too. Outside of that, there just wasn't a whole lot that looked too menacing for Namibia. And the same will be the case when they go into the T20 World Cup Qualifier B, which they are hosting, and that's certainly a big advantage to them. But if I'm one of the other seven teams at the tournament in July... I'm looking at that team and thinking that they're on around about the same level. Most of those sides should fancy their chances against a side like Zimbabwe. There might be a couple of exceptions to that. But overall, honestly, hand on heart, I think the better side, both on paper and both on the field, once this is all said and done, is probably Namibia, just for that depth alone. And I know the first result probably says otherwise, but you know, you, you send out Zane Green when you probably could have sent out David Visa at that stage and, and, and won that first game. And we're saying this after one fixture. And a lot of people will probably turn around and say that it's a little bit premature, but it's so hard to kind of explain just how bleedingly obvious a lot of this was. Namibia, maybe they are playing 4D chess, as you said, Nick, and they're, <laughs> and they're kind of thinking about the rankings from an African qualification standpoint for 2024. But I did speak to Harald Erasmus last week. He, he did mention that, you know, rankings are sort of top of mind in, in what they want to do. Read into that, you know, however you want to. So, look, by the time people listen to this, the second T20 International will be run and done as well, so we could probably deduce a little bit more. But I think this is probably the best indication yet that Namibia are certainly, outside of South Africa, probably the best team in, in Africa at the moment. And again, Zimbabwe could probably lay claim to it too. And when it comes, you know, when push comes to shove, it, it might be interesting to see what happens when both teams are full strength. But yeah, again, just as we've said probably 50 times over the, the last 200 podcasts, Namibia are the real deal at this level. And, you know, with them already securing a, a T20 World Cup spot for 2022 by virtue of last year and qualifying for the two, Super 12s last year, you know, they've got the runs on the board, so to speak, to kind of tinker and, and toil away. Let's move on to some other cricket, some women's cricket that went on between Nepal hosting uh, the Ugandan women. Now, Nepal, welcome back to Sita Rana Marga. She missed the first match due to coming home from Fairbreak. She landed on the day that the first match began. Uh, some more can turmoil, so to speak, with Sita finding out that she'd been stripped from her vice captaincy through the media and not via any sort of personal communication. <laughs> oh, it's always great when that happens. <laughs> Which, again, goes into a lot of the stories and a lot of the things that we see come out of Nepal. And there's some more Nepali news after this that we'll talk about on the men's side and, and T20 cricket, which we'll talk about in a second. But first game, interesting in that Uganda won by 12 runs, defending 102, restricting Nepal to 90 for 9. Uh, what was more telling was that Uganda made exactly the same score in the second match, albeit chasing and winning with one ball to spare, uh, with Nepal making 101 for 7. So at the time of recording, Uganda take a 2-0 lead in the series. And again, it's tough to say what the first match would have been like had Sita been available given her individual quality but Janet Mbabazi who was nominated for Women's ICC Player of the Month for April putting in a couple of good performances already the likes of Rita Musamali making a name for herself again we always see her popping up doing good things for Uganda Konsi Aweko as well as a name that you've mentioned a lot in times gone by Nick so like the men Uganda Uganda's women the, the Lady Cranes the Victoria Pearls uh, that they like to be called Showing again that this growth in Ugandan cricket 
is not just a male only thing on the on the women's side too there very much seems to be a development and winning away from home like this in a place like nepal very foreign it's uh it's nothing to be sneezed at nick yeah and another name to bring up is uh, fiona kalume who's a pace bowling prospect who burst onto the scene in that uh, capricorn series taking six wickets against um against namibia including a hat trick uh, who, who she was basically she hasn't taken any wickets so far in the two matches, but she's been basically impossible to get away. But yeah, I think you know, looking at a pretty clinical win first up, and then a, a you know last gasp thriller really in the second game for Uganda, uh, one ball remaining and one wicket in hand doesn't get much closer than that. The the issues for Uganda, their, their bowling's always been solid, um, but they just haven't found a way to to get past that sort of 100-ish mark. They really struggled in the Capricorn series to get much more than that. And, you know, even thinking back to the Africa qualifier where they, they came pretty close, they were eliminated in the semifinals. They were always there or thereabouts, but they just couldn't get scores up to sort of a, you know, 120, 130 to really give their bowlers uh, something to work with. So, you know, when your batters, you know, as, as we've discussed in the past, there's been, you know, off the top of my head, I think about sort of three four half centuries scored ever in in the you know in the time that Uganda's had T20 uh, international status which has been I think about three years now so the the, the fact that their, their batters just can't seem to go long is has it's just been crippling them for for a long time now and you know bowlers like Concia Weko who yeah she's the, the captain now so I guess she can you know make her own tactical decisions but if she had just a few more runs to play with she's a a leg spinner who does flight it up and, you know, she could potentially be a little bit more aggressive with her field placements and a little bit more aggressive with her bowling. So, you know, things like that, I, I think it is kind of handicapping them just that, that they don't have that batter. But this is obviously a, a problem across the board in women's cricket. You know, Nepal, they, they lost both of the matches, so clearly they, they batted even worse. You know, in that Capricorn series, you know, Zimbabwe was really the only team uh, who, who was consistently batting well. So, yeah, I think that's a recurring problem, but it's one area that that Uganda really need to work on. But I guess conversely, where's where's Nepali women's cricket going? They're they're kind of in the doldrums. You know, a couple of years back, they were one of the top teams in, in the region behind Thailand, uh, but now you know the UAE's definitely leapfrogged them, and obviously Uganda's not in their Asia grouping. But the fact that you know, they're 2-0 down in a, in a home series at, at TU ground. And, you know, the crowds haven't looked fantastic so far. You know, wh- where's, where's, what's the state of the women's game in Nepal? It just seems like there's very little interest, um, I- at least from an administrative level, in you know, turning it around and improving things. Yeah, it's, again, and we'll talk about it with it with a couple more points that have come out from Nepali cricket. It, as we've started recording almost, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a second, but, you know, there's talk of, of women's contract fiascos and going back to, to see to finding out about uh, her being stripped of, of the vice-captaincy. The communication levels and the levels of professionalism in the board itself just shows that things aren't in a good place at the moment. And it, it's funny, talking to Herat last week about, you know, what makes Namibian cricket good in his opinion. And he said there was three levels to how Namibian cricket's put together. He said that the players are just one of, of three parts or, or portions of, of what makes them good. He said, look, it's a, it's, it's a triangle between the players, the coaching, that organization. And then as the third 
it's the board and and Namibian cricket and and cricket Namibia itself and and again it it might be an apples and oranges comparison but if you look to Namibia over the last three years and what they've done off the field you could tell that that stability and that organization behind the scenes has well and truly helped what's happened on the field again yes one day international status has helped in terms of funding and in terms of contracts but for Nepal on the men's side, they've had one-day international status as well. It's it's no excuse for them not to be in the same situation. Over the years, we've seen a lot of controversy in terms of how the women's team are funded and paid for via central contracts. You know, even a team like Bhutan has central contracts for their women and their women's national team. Okay, that the amount of money might be incomparable between the two countries or for Bhutan and anyone else but it's the principle and it's the standard of what you should be doing to accommodate for your players who you want to be elite athletes and elite sports people in Nepal you know this is cricket in Nepal fandom's never been a problem and they're giving out free tickets for people to sit at the TU ground and watch the women's team play international cricket okay that's great you can fill out the TU ground but if you're not charging anyone to walk in there how are you making your money again it's the cart before the horse argument that we often have in Nepali cricket where they have these great ideas at times but sometimes the priorities aren't really quite put in the right order and and things don't happen in the order that they should be happening in and it's systemic of what the women's team are experiencing right now you know until there is significant change within that board and how it's organized and how the money is tiered and the money is funded then Nepal's women's team are going to go around in this vicious cycle and I don't need to tell you that the men are currently experiencing the exact same thing you know they've had pay issues of their own over the last basically well before you know can was suspended and ever since their readmission things have never really been addressed in that regard so again it's you know the what's the definition of insanity uh it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result it just seems to be <laughs> a similar case in in nepali women's cricket um one more point, and, and dare I say it, it sort of emphasizes the same point just mentioned over the course of the last two to three minutes. Uh, the Cricket Association of Nepal have come out announcing their official T20 league, an announcement after a previous announcement, after the one that they put out just a few weeks ago. I want to almost kind of read this live and and give a bit of a live reaction. This came through roughly five minutes before we started recording. And there's a few things to take out of this that I I definitely want to talk about. And and I understand uh, this statement's written in English as well. And, and, you know, it's fair to say that with English as a second language, there can be a few things that are sort of lost or or fall through between the cracks. But I just want to sort of emphasize everything that kind of goes on in this statement. Can have announced Nepal's official T20 league, Nepal T20. One of the biggest takeaways to start off with, the very first bullet point, starts from September 24th, the finals on October 22nd. Now, the first issue that we both saw as soon as we read it, Nick, is that that final on the 22nd is something like six days into the T20 World Cup in Australia. So later on in the in the statement, they talk about how they're trying to attract the best international players they can attract for that tournament. But, you know, when you're almost a week into a global tournament where 16 of the best teams in the world are already playing at, I struggle to see who you're attracting from other parts. That's not to say you can't find international quality because there is. It's just you're just kind of hamstringing yourself a little bit by holding it there. Uh, goes on, there's a statement, a couple of people within can announcing, you know, how proud it is that they're, they're holding this event, you know, which they should be. 
And then it kind of breaks the fourth wall almost, Nick. And we had a little bit of a laugh about this before we jumped on. The Cricket Association of Nepal has, in its statement, mentioned that cricket leagues are gaining popularity across the world. Now, <laughs> that sentence would be good if it was from a news article talking this, talking about this statement. They've said... It's like a, it's a statement in a statement. It's just... Yeah, I don't even know what I want to say well, about it's like that. It's like when you... um. You've got a footnote, and the footnote is something that you've said previously, and you're just referring to yourself as the source, um, which, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> I did forget one point. The other, one of the other dot points said that it's a six-team tournament, and there will be a home and away format to compete for national glory at the TU Stadium in Kathmandu. Now, <laughs> again, it might just be a semantic thing, but, I mean, it's not really home and away if, you, if you're having a one ground. Maybe we're clutching a little bit here, but, again, we have heard murmurs that 7-3 sports uh, who are working in conjunction with the National Sports Council and CAN to put this tournament together. We haven't heard some great things about that and that's come from multiple sources in Nepal, we're still sort of investigating as to how that will all play out. But they estimate they'll earn 330 million Nepali rupees during the tournament and for Can, which, Nick, I think you did the calculations, that's between 2 and a half to $3 million, which could be a massive windfall for Nepali cricket and its governing body, and it could go a long way to helping Nepali cricket. But I think the issue that we both have, looking at this from the outside, and with a gaze of, I'll believe it when I see it, is that you could well struggle to find overseas players for this tournament. The Everest Premier League starts, I think it's the day before the T20 World Cup final in November. So it's a bit of a month-long stretch of one tournament, then the T20 World Cup in between, and then the Everest Premier League. It's going to be an uphill battle trying to secure some really important signatures for this tournament, considering that the last two teams to to be locked in for the T20 World Cup won't be decided until halfway through July. Outside of the teams who have already qualified and those budding teams, there isn't a whole lot of international talent that will get bums on seats at the TU ground when the tournament starts. So looking at this from the outside, you know, are you skeptical? Are you optimistic about all of this? Because again, we've seen T20 comps in Nepal flourish outside of Cairn. Now it's Cairn giving it a go you know what are we expecting from can and can can achieve any sort of material goal realistic goal for a tournament like this yeah i mean look i i i believe that there will be a cricket tournament um that happens at tu ground but yeah whether it lives up to all these lofty promises is uh kind of questionable and yeah i mean you you, you kind of joke about the home and away thing and yeah, oh we've got a long trek to the away dressing room today lads but um <laughs> just just thinking like <laughs> that on one level that's funny but at the same time it, it kind of gets to a deeper issue which is why do they only have one ground you know they there are other facilities that exist in nepal and yet uh somehow everything just ends up being played at tu and yes they're probably not up to scratch in terms of you know all the necessary facilities and, and and whatnot. But at the same time, why haven't you know? Can are one of the better funded associates, both in terms of ICC funding and then uh, how how the exchange rate kind of favours them, and and also in terms of uh, private funding and, and selling TV rights to various um, you know, various series that they put on. So why haven't Nepal been able to upgrade any other facilities? There's always, you know, stories about how some whiz-bang new facility is, is just around the corner um, and they're building it, but it, it always seems to kind of 
fall down or, or get delayed or, or something. And so just what's going on with that, that I think is, you know, you, you should have more than one ground uh, that you can play major events at. So, yes. Um, and then, yeah, <laughs> looking at the, the scheduling, yeah, like you say, I agree. I don't see how you're going to be um, attracting top international talent when the top 16 teams are all at the World Cup. So that's another issue. In terms of, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe this scheduling is, is kind of a try, trying to make the Nepali fans forget that Nepal's not at the World Cup and, you know, giving them something to to watch so they don't feel too sad that Nepal's not, you know, at the main event. I don't know. But, you know, then the EPL uh, is, is coming up straight after this. So are the players kind of going to, you know, this is a month-long tournament. Are the players then going to go straight into the EPL? Uh, are you going to try and attract international talent to play at the official one or, or are the, you know, the top international players going to look at the scheduling and, and think, you know what, I'll, I'll go to the EPL after the World Cup. Or, yeah, I'm not sure about that. And then as for the, the windfall of, of 330 million rupees, if that materializes, it could be enormously uh, beneficial to Can. But then that kind of takes us back to the first point, which is well, where's all this money going? You know, they, they, it's not that they, you know, they're not cash strapped in the way that some other boards are. So 2.5 million US dollars can go a long way in, in Nepali cricket. It could potentially uh, go some way to finishing an, another ground maybe. Or, you know, so, so I, I just hope that this money that they're uh, supposedly going to get is uh, earmarked for something actually useful that's going to benefit Nepali cricket going forward. Final statement or sentence in the statement coming actually from 7-3 Sports is that it's committed to promote cricket at grassroots level in Nepal throughout the platform of holding a competition. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I struggle to see how that is feasible. I mean, you can inspire kids and club cricketers to play cricket, but I don't know how you can use this as a, as a reason or inspiration for doing that. I just A few Nepali commentators and and key figures in Nepali cricket around uh, have said they'll believe it when they see it and yeah I tend to fall in that boat and I mean yeah if if some of the money does go towards another ground in the country it can only be a good thing but yeah every single ground development that you hear about sort of gets hyped up for you know a hot five minutes and then you never hear about it ever again so again we're hopeful that, that that something like this can bring positive change to Nepali cricket but it just seems like a very stopgap measure at this point and not really solving a whole lot of its uh, holistic issues I'm Sarah Bakitali Toto. I'm the current vice captain of the Kenya ladies cricket team. I'm a batting all-rounder. My dream is to play in the World Cup very soon. And you're listening to the Imagine Cricket Podcast. Well, the Fair Break Invitational has captured the attention of the cricket world and a member of the media and commentary team has joined us to talk all about it. Georgie Heath, welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's nice to be back talking all things Fair Break. It's been, what, two days and I'm, I kind of got withdrawal symptoms already, so it's quite nice to get back into it. I was going to ask, it looked like a lot of fun in the UAE and, and I think we can all sort of agree that the tournament was excellent on a number of levels, exceeded many people's expectations. You know, you sit here a few days removed from it. Kind of sum up the last sort of fortnight uh, in the life of Fair Break. From the outside, it looked excellent. Yeah, I mean, often you see those things, they look excellent from the outside and they're not on the inside. 
But actually, it was just the most insanely cool, great fun. Fortnite, I guess, it was just, I don't know, everything was fun and everyone was in a good mood. Weirdly kind of Christmas vibes, you know, when there's just never any problem until you play Monopoly. Luckily, we didn't. But yeah, I don't know. It just had that feel about it. Of, um, you'd wander around the hotel, you'd see players from different nations that would have never got to see each other before, never crossed over. And they were playing on the same team. Or you've got Johanara Allen doing, you know, Joe Broadbent's eyeliner just because she can, you know? kind of crossovers you just would never see and then you've got players from Rwanda teaching this that and the other and Nepalese players going absolutely viral with their celebrations so there'd be players from different countries of different ages coaches us media people just chilling together and then you go and play your games yes they're competitive but then they'd be over and you'll be mates again and go and hang out do whatever go to water park I went dune buggying with someone from Zimbabwe someone from Canada someone from Australia someone from Nepal and someone from Malaysia and it was completely normal and we had a great time and the thing that really brought us together when we got in the car was when we started playing um Rihanna Unfaithful that was the one that broke the ice <laughs> always a great level who's, who's in charge of the playlist there oh 100% me obviously <laughs> but yeah and then obviously the cricket was incredible standard as well so we saw it kick off on day one with um that Warriors versus Falcons game and I imagine a lot of people were skeptical about what might be like, what the performances might be like, the level of associate players. Not That sounds really patronising to say, but a lot of them we've not seen that much of. Um, you guys have obviously been amazing covering it, but we don't see them on the TV and stuff like we do the big dogs. So to go out and see that first game, first ball bowled by a Bhutanese bowler, Andrew Gurung, who's been training on her own bloody, on a road in Bhutan and then had to go to Thailand. She's been everywhere, you know, bowls that first ball. And then Atapatu comes out with that incredible hundred. And it was just a bit like, wow, this is actually going to be quite something. So I think once it got going, it was like, not relief, but like, this is going to be insane. And then it was, and just everything had a bit of something in it, didn't it? We've seen Patrick's, we've seen record stumpings, we've seen fifers, we've seen hundreds, we've seen sixes, insane catches, many on Dupria, and just had a bit of everything. And also that kind of fun, great vibe at the same time, if that sums it up, which is quite a long way to sum something up. I'm glad you didn't say do it in one sentence because I would have failed. Yeah, and I think it's kind of thing, a lot of them at the end were like, yeah, we've got groups we're all gonna go away and like, i've now got somewhere sophia duncan was like i've got somewhere i can stay every country i go on holiday now <laughs> well that's, that's you know 35 i think countries total involved and yeah we saw the the flags on the back which was a, a kind of a nice initiative oh. um and just the the fact that the associate players were you know integrated in the teams i know we saw natak and chantam play at the uh the the, the women's ipl challenge a couple of years ago, but you know, <laughs> I don't. I think she faced about three balls and and um, you know barely was involved. And so the whole point of this was to provide opportunities for players from you know all around the the emerging cricket world as well as established full members. Kind of makes it a point of difference. Do you, do you think like looking at you know the fact that you saw all these connections being made? Do you see that as being a, a kind of a positive in terms of, uh, you know, word of mouth and you know, opportunities coming up in other franchise tournaments officially done by by boards? I mean, I would hope so because it's very much one of those the old cliche of see it to be it. You know, if you're not seen, you can't do it. But they are being seen now, and I think a lot of people have woken up to this. You know, with the the world of social media as well, stuff has been covered, and you've seen more of it. Like we had a, a record stumping from Babette Delida, who is. You know, she's a Dutch player and she set, I won't say world record, but I'm going for inverted commas of world record. That comes across really well on the medium of uh, of, of audio. I know, right? 
a world record. <laughs> Is that better? Um, five stumping. But yeah, and then you've got the likes of Winifred Durasingham, who was just so consistent through that. But then if they're given this coverage, and we know these names now, I mean, I don't know if I'm just really, really privy to them because I've spent so much time around them the last few weeks. But now that they're there and sort of in the zeitgeist, then it kind of gives that, you know, we are here. We are very good at this. We're hoping to come back to fair break again because we've stamped our authority on it and we deserve our shot at a place in these big tournaments. Fair break is that first step, perhaps. But they, you know, a lot of them are like, oh, I want to come back to this. This is incredible. And they'd, if we give them that opportunity to play in these kind of tournaments, then it's going to help boost their nation. They, they can, you know, the pride that they see in their players being part of that. The hope is that then they invest more into their women's game at home to bring perhaps another player from their country next year. And then from there, take that next step and see what happens after that. You know, how cool would it be to have a Malaysian player in something like the 100 or something? Yeah, it, it's... For me, it kind of just proves, I suppose, everything that we've harped on about for the last three years and talking about uh, the individual talent, specifically in a number of these associate countries, has always been strong. There never really seemed to have been an opportunity for them to exhibit that. You know, as Nick mentioned, you know, Natick and Chantum at the Women's T20 Challenge a couple of years ago, got a game and then didn't get really a chance to bat. And, you know, using the example of, you know, associate players in the 100 and the BBL as well. We've seen uh, rookie contracts and associate contracts in the past haven't really materialized into anything. But just the fair break movement, you know, by itself, you know, having this tournament in this space, while it might show to India that yes, you know, a women's IPL is is viable and realistic going forward, and I think everyone wants wants to see that. Having this tournament annually on its own will provide immeasurable benefits anyway. So if if it's kept up into Hong Kong next year and and moving forward in, into future years, how do you kind of see? The movement, I suppose, of Fairbreak keeping its own place in the in the ecosystem of cricket and providing this platform for everyone, whether or not it's a fortnight tournament in future years or perhaps bigger and better things moving forward. You know, what's the, the kind of vibe there? Yeah, that's one of those things that you have to think, you know, you can't just let it be taken over by the big nations as such and just become its own big bash or IPL or whatever. It is, the whole point of it is the Fairbreak, giving that Fairbreak to people from all backgrounds all nations and that's where it works so nicely is that everyone had to play two games regardless of where you're from what country whatever so didn't matter it wasn't just you know people go out there and they'd be like oh I've got my Australian players I've got my West Indians I've got my Pakistani player I've got my English player push the associates aside they're sort of token members of the team that's not how it works everyone gets their shot and actually everyone steps up to it and that's what's so integral to the fair break tournament is that it's not about the big players and just having them in and the others being there. They are there, do their thing and definitely get a shot at it. So looking forward into the future, I think it's very much about planning and it's not selecting players as such for the tournament, but you know, you're not just going to go out and you're going to go, right, we'll have these girls. They've just been big bash. We'll take them here, do this. That's not how it works. And I think that's why it's got this something about it. And then you've got those people who are locked in as fair breakers forever. You've got someone like Selena Solman. She's been around the fair break movement and what's been going on there. Played the first game, I think. Yeah, and she came all the way from Vanuatu, had issues with Visa, <laughs> took some insane catches and was just a really good egg as well, you know, consistent. And that's the kind of person that she's been part of it and she will be part of it moving forward. And then it is about maintaining its integrity, I think. And Sean and Jeff are very aware of that which 
you know, they need to be because it's not that they select players as such, but it is about making sure that they've got that balance, the right number, this, that and the other, the spread. They're trying to get players from all over the world, really. I Personally, I would love to see, you know, an Afghanistani cricketer next year, perhaps someone from there, someone, an Ukrainian. You know, there are so many more nations that can still be brought into this, whether it was because of political problems this year that they might not have been able to or something like that. But I think looking ahead, they are still hoping to spread it even further and wider while maintaining, you know, you've still got your full nations, you've got your focus, you've got covering everything, basically. And so I think the people, the the guys at the top, the big dogs are integral to that and they got their heads screwed on right. I've spent two weeks with them. I mean, they're incredible. You know, what they've done over this 10-year period to get to this point and the planning and the changing, you know, it was in Hong Kong originally and they had to move to Dubai and just everything that they put into it, it is their baby. And I don't think they would ever be inclined to just sort of push it in that direction of just being like, oh, we'll just make it basically an IPL, you know, we'll bring in the top players, we'll have a bish bash bosh. It's not about that. It's about incredible cricket, yes, but it's also about cricket from all over the world, players of all nations, giving everyone that opportunity. And they know that. And that is their core of their belief in this movement. We are just on that kind of mission or or identity for the tournament and, you know, how it sort of differentiates itself from all the other franchise events. Um, When it was still going to be in Hong Kong, they were planning, um, you know, some workshops and conferences on equality and and, and women's rights. Um, I I don't know whether that happened in the the Dubai one, but um, just along those lines, you know, how does the fair break identity or, or um, mission sort of permeate the, the tournament and, and sort of where do you see that going, you know, off field as well as on field? Yeah, I think, I mean, it is about coverage, obviously, and proving the worth, not the worth as such of these women, but what they can do and how women in sport is such an integral part to society and the world as a whole and culture all over the world. And this was about providing those equal opportunities in a sporting space. Yes, this is one sport out of a thousand and sport within a thousand more places in the world. But you've got to start somewhere and showing that this movement can be made in cricket. You know, women's cricket, we know, is on the rise. But you know, as we say, it will get there one day. You know, we don't want to be token women cricket. We want to be cricket. That's it. You know, it's cricket. It's people bowling and hitting and catching. That's cricket doesn't matter if you've got boobs or not whatever and I think if you can show that it can start in that point I think you know the idea of if we take that as a model and can spread it into other sports perhaps or beyond there showing that it's not about just like bringing in the people you know and the ones that are at the top already and giving those opportunities they can bring something fresh and help grow society and the world as a place as it is like we spoke to some of the captains spoke to Nicola Carey who's obviously a well-established Australian player and she was like I cannot even put into words how much I am learning from these associate players because the stuff they haven't even considered. You know, when when you're at the top nations, you've got everything provided for you, your kit, your nutrition, your physios, your travel. And then you talk to these associate players, some of whom don't even have bat sponsors or don't have their own pads, you know, to be provided at these tournaments. And they're like, oh yeah, I just do this, this and this. And they've got these innovative ways that none of us perhaps at more privileged nations have considered and then you're like oh actually so then you try out these things and you start learning other things well because it's not about just the big nations teaching the associates things because it's not teacher and a student thing it's equal players on an equal playing field 
learning in that synergy together. And that's something that is only going to grow if we keep giving that opportunity for people from all over the world, all backgrounds, nations, to give their input, bring it in the mixing pot and come out with the good things at the end of it. And so I think that's worked in fair break. Why can't it work beyond the boundaries of a cricket pitch? It it almost feels like a fever dream watching it from, you know, last week and the week before. Just the sheer numbers of nationalities and people who were on the event, what they were able to do, and I know it, it would have taken quite a lot of planning, but for it to come to fruition and, and, yeah, knowing that the movement's been around for a few years now, just to see it in front of us, it almost feels unbelievable what was actually achieved in that time. You know, not only the players, but you guys in, in coverage as well, the team you guys were you know managed to put together it being in uae the coverage was excellent a lot of these players from associate backgrounds would you know dream of having telecast coverage of this nature whether it be men's or women's cricket it seems like such a raging success now but having been there and involved in it you know on a day-to-day basis what were some of the lessons you you know took from it or or that Fairbreak took from it that you know takes this tournament even further in future iterations because yeah it seems like everyone's got their head screwed on right now but I mean, I'm sure there are still ways and, you know, little bits and pieces that can be taken and, and, and brought forward to, to bring an even bigger experience next year and, and future future years. I mean, the first thing I'm taking away from it is that I am now so much better at my world flags. <laughs> oh, this is a specialty for Bez. What an initiative, by the way. It's the greatest part of it. <laughs> like, honestly, at the beginning of the tournament, I was like, what are these flags? But then you saw them line up on that opening ceremony. I was like, this is just insane, you know? And that, I think, was just such an incredible moment to see all those nations lined up by the trophy for that opening ceremony. But I think, I know, coming back to what we take away from it and how we move forward, I think it's just continuing that momentum. There's an England tour that will just have one team that coming over, they're going to Arundel, up to Scotland, I think the Netherlands. So there is that core team of it. Obviously, we've got international players who aren't part of that one, who go off England players, go play their, te- you know, matches. I was about to say test matches. That's funny. <laughs> they one test match this summer. Um, yeah, that's, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? The women's test cricket. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you got? <laughs> Um, so you've got, you know, those players who are going to be part of that tour. And that is really important to bring them over to England, show that coverage thing. But it is about just trying to keep that momentum. And yes, it went on to all these tele streams all over the world. But, you know, sometimes even people in England would be like, oh, I'm trying to tune into free sport and it's showing vintage ice hockey or something. I mean, we play ice hockey in England. Anyway. So that kind of thing, you know, and it's so there are times I felt before and at the beginning, perhaps certain outlets didn't quite give it the respect that it deserves. They were just a bit like, oh, this tournament's happening. It's got some players from, you know, oh, different corners of the world. We might show a bit of it. And then the traction really started to build. And being on the social media end of it as well, I could see it, you know, even the views on videos and this, that and the other, it really built up momentum. And that's something that needs to try and be maintained as we look ahead to go to Hong Kong in March, less than a year. But yeah, maintaining that momentum, keeping that conversation going, if we can keep you know, you guys do this incredible work covering the emerging cricket stuff. And that's fair break almost encompasses what you guys believe in and have done for years now. So for you, it must have been insane to be able to watch it come to fruition like that. And I think it's about just building on that and trying to look ahead to the future and be like, right, these are what our fair breakers are still up to. We're looking ahead to next year. Some of them are doing this. You know, I would love to see the 100 bring in an associate player at each team. They're not going to because that's just not how it works. But that would be great. You know, they'd be like, oh, we saw how insane this person was in the fair break this year. 
she's coming into our squad. Whether she plays, I don't know. But that, don't put her in the place she's out of her depth. Obviously, that's not how elite sport works. But you've got someone like that and you think, you know what, actually, she's going to be a bloody good addition. You mentioned Nathan Chantham. Obviously, she's off again to the um, Women's Challenge now, but she's the kind of player that you could nurture in that kind of environment. And you'd be like, look, we saw what she did at the fair break with jeans written on her back. We're going to give her that opportunity again, grow her, and actually we might be harnessing something insane here that Fairbreak have already found. And then looking ahead to next year, you know, say she's at what, Trent Rockets, whatever, they're like, we've got this player, and actually we've really done something here. Open your eyes, other franchise teams. Thank you, Fairbreak, for proving to us what we can establish that if we spread our net further. So I think it's about, yeah, it's all about maintaining that momentum. Social media is going to be massive on that, but I think it's in that right kind of space. And I don't know if that's just because I'm still riding the mega high from it, but I feel like the conversation is there and you see it on social media and you see it, you know, Australian cricket were covering it on their own website and things like that, not just talking about their Australian players. So, yeah, I think you just got to continue to build on it, talk about it, write about it, that kind of stuff. And then it will just continue to grow and grow. If we can grow that much in two weeks, you know, who knows what can happen in the space of the next 10 months. We've got a, a long time tradition here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast and we'll give you a little bit of time to think about this. This is a question that we ask every single guest, Georgie, and it might be related to fair break, but if there was one law you could change in cricket, what would it be and why? Oh, one law. That's really tricky. Um... Does it have to be actually realistic? I mean, whatever you want. I think Norman Vanor wanted to ban spin bowling, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think it'd be really fun if you could have something rogue, basically. Like, if you, this is something I'd love to see just as an entertainment factor. I don't know why this came into my head. Quite recently, I was talking to someone about it and they thought it was really weird. But if you're taking a run and you can finish it with a cartwheel, you get an extra run. <laughs> Basically, you make the mental decision. You make the decision: Am I going to run two, or am I going to finish with a cartwheel? Could you do like other, like a handstand or something? Like, I mean, if you can handstand, yeah, go for goals. You know, maybe extra points. Umpires. Yeah, so it's like umpires' discretion of like how good your tricks are. Like, I, 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 yeah, because <laughs> it'll have to. There'll have to be a threshold as to like what constitutes as a cartwheel, right? Yeah, I mean, mine definitely does. Could you do a round off and kind of just <laughs> that constitutes a cartwheel? I, I'm yeah, intrigued. Yeah, talking points exactly. I mean, a roly poly is great and everything but you know you can whip through them really fast oh, yeah. Right? yeah like you might as well be diving right like exactly but actually that could be so good you could take the dive do the roly-poly and you're there in one but then the umpire deems it not a, not a cartwheel <laughs> you go. depends what they're going for so yeah talking point thinking what was your ruling? what would you change well mine it's funny one of mine actually is being changed as of about august when the new law changes come in i the players crossing during a catch shouldn't happen oh ah. Yeah, see, I, I don't, I don't like that change, but uh, yeah, you, good, good for you, Bez. See, I do, Nicholas, and this is a talking point, right? Because why should the batting team gain an advantage of having the non-striker who's already well set facing the next ball when a run hasn't been scored and a wicket's fallen? But this is a conversation that we don't need anymore because the law. <laughs> Actually, that's just made me think. My other one was so. This was because I was really tired when I was learning about the hundred at first. But basically, you know, they say you know if you're going over your time, whatever a player has to come in. Well, I completely like didn't read it right. I, mean, I can't remember what how the wording was, but in my head, I translated it as 
if you're going over time, a player goes off. So I was like, if they're, you know, they're running really slowly, then players just keep getting sent off and suddenly you've only got five fielders. And I actually thought that was really funny. So you've got to get through them quickly or someone gets kicked off. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for that. Overrates are way too slow. and, and like I'm all for that rule too. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so tired of slow overrates. So I would be like 100% behind that. Yeah, and the slower you get, and then you get to the end, it's literally the bowler and the wicketkeeper and everyone's like, right. Yeah, how good would that be? <laughs> I'm, I'm all in on this, yeah. to be honest. It gets so boring, the slow over it. Yeah, bring a batter in, whatever. But then they still got to try and go over them. So actually, almost makes it harder sometimes. Depends on whatever. But yeah, send them off. Mm. Red card for slow over eight. <laughs> like it. What has to, well, see, this is the thing. It has to be an on-field punishment because, you know, fines for millionaire cricketers just don't do anything. So Yeah, yeah. and also... Where does the money go? Well, that's the other thing. It's kind of like the the board. Yeah, send a player off for slow over rates. Do a cartwheel, send them off, all of these above, and that's it. That's a good one. On board. Thanks. I think you've done very well there. You probably uh, moved up, you know, into the top five of the leaderboard of prospective law changes that we've had on the show. Georgie Heath, thank you so much for joining the Emerge Cricket Podcast. Absolutely loved the Fair Break Tournament and everything that went with it, the Fair Break Invitational 2022 2023 promises to be just as good, if not better. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll all be there in Hong Kong uh, enjoying it all together. But once again, thank you for joining the uh, Emerge Cricket Podcast and we'll speak soon. Thank you. See you in Hong Kong. You will be there. I'm going to be there. So why would you not want to be? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, (laughs) Glad you enjoyed it. A huge thank you to Georgie again. And just an update from the Namibia-Zimbabwe series. After recording our show earlier this week, Namibia leveled the series to make it one match apiece. The next match of the five is on Saturday. That's everything in the Emerging game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. But for now, enjoy your week wherever you are around the Emerging Cricket world. Yeah!